So we're beginning to read at Mark 15, um, verse 16. Mark chapter 15 and verse 16. This is God's word. And the soldiers led him away inside the palace, that is the governor's headquarters. And they called together the whole battalion. And they clothed him in a purple cloak. And twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on him. And they began to salute him. Hail, King of the Jews. And they were striking his head with a reed and spitting on him. And kneeling down in homage to him. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the purple cloak. And put his own clothes on him. And they let him out to crucify him. And they compelled the passerby, Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country, the father of Alexander and Rufus, to carry his cross. And they brought him to the place called Golgotha, which means place of a skull. And they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. And they crucified him and divided his garments among them, casting lots for them to decide what each should take. And it was the third hour when they crucified him. And the inscription of the charge against him read, The King of the Jews. And with him they crucified two robbers, one on his right and one on his left. And those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, Aha, you who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. And come down from the cross. So also the chief priests with the scribes mocked him to one another saying, He saved others. He cannot save himself. Let the Christ, the King of Israel, come down now from the cross that we may see and believe. And those who were crucified with him also reviled him. When the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it said, behold, he's calling Elijah. Someone ran and filled a sponge with sour wine, put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink, saying, wait, let us see whether Elijah will come to take him down. And Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion who stood facing him saw that in this way he breathed his last, He said, truly this man was the Son of God. There were also women looking on from a distance, among whom were Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James, the younger of Joseph and Salome. When he was in Galilee, they followed him and ministered to him. And and there were also many other women who came up with him to Jerusalem. 
And when evening had come, since it was the day of preparation, that is the day before Sabbath, Joseph of Arimathea, a respected member of the council, who was also himself looking for the kingdom of God, took courage and went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Pilate was surprised to hear that he should have already died. And summoning the centurion, he asked him whether he was already dead. And when he learned from the centurion that he was dead, he granted the corpse to Joseph. And Joseph bought a linen shroud and taking him down, wrapped him in the linen shroud and laid him in a tomb that had been cut out of the rock. And he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, saw where he was laid. When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary, the mother of James and Salome, brought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. And they were saying to one another, Who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. And he said to them, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they led him. But go. Tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. And they went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. Let's pause for a moment and ask for God's help as we come to think about his word. Our Father and God, we thank you for the great privilege that this is again to to meet around your word. We thank you for these great truths that we have just been reading from your words. And so God, we just ask for the help of your spirit again, that that, that we would just have a better grasp of, of these truths that we have read. That your spirit would take these and really plant them deep within our hearts. That these truths would would change us from within. Father, please speak to us, we pray. In Christ's name. Amen. Amen. If you could ask God one question, I wonder what it would be. One question, I wonder what it would be. Well, there were various things that perhaps may come to mind, but no doubt among the top questions would be, why does God allow suffering? I don't know if you remember, but quite some years ago, um, churches in Bangor ran an evangelistic campaign, and they called it Bangor's Big Question. And I can remember seeing posters and buses and round towns and things um, advertising this campaign. And basically, anyone was allowed to put forward one question that they would ask God, and then there would be an event that would address 
question that was asked most. And the question that was asked most at that event was, why does God allow suffering? Pain and suffering that we experience as human beings in this world, it perplexes us. It always goes against our grain. We never want to naturally suffer. Why does God allow suffering? Well, it may be helpful this morning to just keep that question in mind as we go through our text. And as we come this morning to conclude our series in Mark's Gospel, we could easily take our points from our call to worship in 1 Corinthians 15. Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures. He was buried and he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. And we finished last week with Jesus delivered over to be crucified with the charge against him that he is king of the Jews. This morning, we want to think about the death of Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus. So firstly, the death of Jesus. Follow these details through along with me from verse 16. We see the soldiers laid him away inside Pilate's headquarters and they called together the whole battalion. Now this could have been up to 600 soldiers, horribly intimidating for Jesus. Then the mocking begins, verse 17. And they clothed him in a a purple cloak, a a royal colour, mocking him as king. They they twisted together a crown of thorns. Often a a laurel wreath would have been made um, to to celebrate and even to kind of crown a a conquering hero. And so this this crown of thorns is mocking Jesus as a conquering king. Verse 18, they salute him and in sarcasm they heal him, king of the Jews. Verse 19, they're they're striking his head with a reed. Again, most likely mockery of of a scepter that a king would hold. They spat on him and then in a mocking fashion they kneel down in homage, pretending to show honour and respect. The verbs used in these verses actually are imperfect, which suggests ongoing action. It suggests they they mocked him repeatedly. They spat on him. They struck him again and again and again. And then they let him out to crucify him. Verse 20. Verse 21, they compelled the passerby, Simon of, of Cyrene, to carry the cross of Jesus. Now, usually the person carrying, or usually the person going to be crucified would be forced to carry the, the horizontal beam um, themselves, but perhaps by this stage Jesus was just too weak physically, and so the soldiers forced this um, passerby, Simon, to carry um, this cross. 
Verse 22, they brought Jesus to the place called Golgotha. Um, you may be interested to know that's where we get our word Calvary. Calvary comes from the Latin translation here of the scriptures. Then verse 23, Jesus was offered wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. Sometimes this was offered to those being crucified um, to, to help dull the pain. So it's possible that someone from the crowd um, was, was demonstrating an act of kindness, or potentially this was further mockery, um, really just offering Jesus wine as um, sarcasm, as wine, good wine would be offered to a king. Then verse 24, they, they crucified him and divided his garments among them casting lots for them to decide what each should take. Again, this was common practice. It's a bit like dividing plunder in battle um, when you had conquered an enemy, which we see um, different times in the Old Testament. We saw it a lot in Joshua last year. But then we're told, verse 25, it was the third hour when they crucified him. Now, we rarely get such specific details, but here Mark tells us that Jesus was crucified at the third hour, which is 9 a.m. And verse 26, the inscription of the charge against him read, The King of the Jews. And with him, verse 27, they crucified two robbers, one on his right and one on his left. So there Jesus hangs as a criminal, a rebel, numbered with the transgressors, Isaiah 53. Now the crucifixion would have taken place outside the city along a main road. This would have caused maximum humiliation for the person being crucified, but also acted as a warning to those who were passing by. As they witnessed a crucifixion, it was a warning to them to obey the Roman authorities or else, or else you could suffer the same fate. And then we see basically everyone around rejected Jesus. Verse 29, those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, you who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, Save yourself. Come down from the cross. And the religious leaders, no surprise, they rejected him. They mocked Jesus saying, well, he saved others, but he can't even save himself. Let the Christ, let the King of Israel come down now from the cross. Then we'll see and we will believe. And even those who were crucified with him reviled him. And wouldn't you think they would have had more empathy? But even from their cross, they joined in rejecting Jesus. In verse 33, when the sixth hour, that is twelve noon, had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour, that is 3 p.m. Darkness represents the judgment of God. If we think back even as far as the plagues in, in Exodus, darkness was one of the plagues um, brought to show God's judgment on Egypt. 
And furthermore, the, the prophets Isaiah and Amos and Joel all um, link darkness with God's judgment. And 3 p.m., Jesus cried out with a loud voice, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's a reference from Psalm 22, and indeed a lot of the details here in Mark we can take from Psalm 22. But Jesus is still addressing God in a personal way. He's saying, my God, but he's crying out to God in desperation, why have you forsaken me? Jesus is forsaken by his Father. God is active in this crucifixion. The sin of the world is placed on Jesus, and so the wrath of God has come down on Jesus. God cannot answer until his wrath has been satisfied. He cannot rescue his son until every sip of the cup of wrath has been drank. Verse 35, some of the bystanders thought he was calling Elijah. The, the words, my God, are very similar to the word Elijah. Many expected Elijah to return um, before the Messiah uh, and to return and, uh, and be involved in some kind of rescue. So they thought Jesus was calling um, for Elijah to come and rescue him from the cross. In verse 36, someone ran and filled a sponge with sour wine and put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink, saying, let us wait to see whether Elijah will come to take him down. Again, this could be a kind gesture in response to Jesus' thirst or yet further mockery of the king of the Jews. Well, Jesus gave another loud cry, verse 37, and he breathed his last. And verse 38, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Verse 39, when the centurion who stood facing him saw that in this way he breathed his last, he said, truly this man was the son of God. Now you may remember Mark's gospel began by declaring that Jesus is the son of God. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus, the son of God. And as we said many times, Mark's purpose in writing is to prove that Jesus is in fact the son of God of God. Now we know by now that the disciples have recognized Jesus as the Christ, as the one God would send, but they never really fully got his suffering role, did they? And yet here this Gentile pagan centurion, the very one directed to oversee the crucifixion, here he confirms Jesus as the divine Son of God because of his suffering. Not because of any miracle he did, but confirms him as the Son of God because of his suffering. And perhaps here we have a little hint that the sacrifice of Christ, that his suffering, that his salvation will be indeed for all people. Now as we walk through those details of Jesus' death, what I want us to see now is the irony of the cross. 
Jesus was crucified for blasphemy. Claiming to be king of the Jews. And yet, it was the ones who who mocked him as king of the Jews who were the real blasphemers. Those who who passed by and, and shouted that you who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself, come down from the cross. You see, they thought that Jesus would have to come down from the cross in order to destroy the temple, but yet... It was in staying on the cross that Jesus would destroy the temple. It was when Jesus died that the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, bringing an end to the sacrificial system, destroying the purpose of the temple. Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, the final sacrifice has been made, and the way to God is forever open wide. What does the writer to the Hebrews say? He says, we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh. The religious leaders, they shouted, ah, he saved others, but he can't save himself. Yet, It wasn't staying on the cross that Jesus became the saviour of the world, the Christ, the king of Israel, the obedient servant sent by God to rescue and redeem his people and bring everlasting peace. Jesus dies, as he said he would, according to the scriptures. Three times he clearly and explicitly told his disciples he would die, and he has. He said he would give his life as a ransom for many, and here he is, the sinless one, dying as a ransom for many sinners. He said to his disciples, this is my body, and this is my blood given for you. And here is his body and his blood given for them. Where are the disciples? Well, they've abandoned him, haven't they? And yet here is Jesus hanging and dying alone in their place for them. Well, we see verse 40, there were women who had followed him Um, Women who had supported Jesus and provided for him in his ministry. And they they, they were there, they saw him die. And then we see Jesus um, is buried. A man named Joseph, a member of the Sanhedrin, the council. A man who was looking for the kingdom of God. It, It seems this man was really genuinely searching for the kingdom of God. He took courage and he went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Now, Pilate was surprised to hear that um, Jesus had already died. Um, Normally, those who were were crucified could could hang for a couple of days before um, finally dying. And so Pilate got the Roman centurion to check if Jesus really was dead. 
Now the centurion, of course, wasn't going to lie to Pilate. Um, he, he, he checked and he confirmed that Jesus had died. And I think the fact that Jesus died before even he was expected just subtly shows us that, that Jesus would die in God's perfect timing. But Jesus was confirmed dead and the corpse was given to Joseph. Some translations say the body was given to Joseph. If you have any ESV um, that uses the word corpse, which is a more accurate translation of the Greek word. And that is important because body can mean alive or dead. Corpse can only mean dead. Jesus was dead and he was given to Joseph to bury. And that's what Joseph did um, following the traditional Jewish burial customs. And when Jesus was buried, Joseph had a stone rolled against the entrance of the tomb. And we're told, verse 47, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, saw where he was led. Now, for a moment, I wanted to bring us back to our opening question. Why does God allow suffering? Why does God allow suffering? Well, we know it was sin entering the world that brought suffering and death to the world. Okay, as believers, we, we all know that. We all know that we live in a broken world. We, we know that, that suffering and death is inevitable. But there's, the, 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 there's a greater mystery, is there not, that God allowed the suffering and death of his eternal beloved son so that you and I could know an end to suffering and death. Perhaps you've never believed in who Jesus is. And perhaps one of the things that that puts you off is it's just suffering in the world. You look at suffering around you and you say, how could a loving God allow this? I want you to look again to the cross of Christ and see the love of God. As Jesus hung exposed for all to see on that main road. So I want to tell you clearly this morning, Jesus Christ suffered and died so you could be free from suffering and death. Will you acknowledge who he is? Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Saviour of the world. That's our first point, the death of Jesus. Our second point this morning, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, Jesus really is dead and buried. The centurion declared it, and Pilate approved it, Joseph, a respected member of the Sanhedrin, buried him as a dead man. The the women who saw Jesus dead and buried, they came to pay their respects to him. We see that chapter 16, verses 1 and 2. And as they came towards the tomb, they were chatting, they were wondering 
how they would have the stone rolled back. Um, And yet, as they looked up verse 4, they saw that the stone had already been rolled back. And entering the tomb, they saw what is described as an angel. Let's look at what the angel said, verse 6. Let's hear this. They said, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they led him. But go. Tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you'll see him, just as he told you. And just a lovely little detail that the angel says, tell his disciples and Peter. Peter who had denied Jesus three times. Peter who had messed up big style. Peter who was probably crippled with guilt by now. And yet there is hope for Peter because of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Jesus really did die. Jesus really was buried. And Jesus really was raised to life again by God. Now, of course, there are many theories around the resurrection. Some of the most common are that the disciples stole the body which somehow seems unrealistic. For one, they were never going to be brave enough um, to steal the body and get in trouble with the the authorities. But we've got to ask what would be their motive or what, what would they even do with the body? Another is that perhaps the Jewish leaders or, or the Romans took it, which is possibly even laughable. They, they did everything in their power to get Jesus dead and buried I mean, to steal him and hide the body was only going to suggest to people that he had risen and he was who he said he was. Some even suggest that the women went to the wrong tomb. Now, we know from Mark here that they saw where Jesus was buried. And even if they had turned up to the wrong tomb, surely it wouldn't have been difficult to find out where Jesus was buried. And there's a swoon theory which suggests that Jesus wasn't really dead. And there we've got to ask what the motive of the Roman centurion would be to make up that Jesus was dead, to pretend that he was dead when he wasn't. In fact, the only record in history of someone being crucified and coming off a cross still alive, that person died within 24 hours. And then there's a theory that when Jesus appeared to people after his resurrection, that all those people were just having the same hallucination. This is called a mass hallucination. And basically they do not exist. It's actually much, much more likely for Jesus to be resurrected from the dead than it was for those who saw Jesus to have experienced what is known as a mass hallucination. You see, the most rational explanation... And the greatest evidence, theologically and historically, all point to the fact that Jesus died, he was buried, and he was raised again. And again, I want to say for those who do not believe 
in Jesus Christ. Often what stands as a barrier um, to, to people accepting who Christ is Perhaps those things in scripture that we just can't fully grasp, we can't fully understand, things that we can't get our head around. Perhaps some things that are complex and things that are not exactly clear. But this morning I want you to consider the historical truth that Jesus died, he was buried, and he rose again, and that he did. Think on that truth. Because when you accept that truth, it will overshadow every other question that you have. It might not answer them all, but it will overshadow all of those other questions. And here's my question to you this morning. What will you do with the Son of God? When sin entered the world in, way back in Genesis, death entered. We have already referred to that this morning. But God promised it would not always be so. He said the seed of the woman would come, would deal with sin, and would crush the head of the serpent. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, and the one born to the Virgin Mary, has come and dealt with sin once and for all. He has taken sin's curse and by his resurrection he has conquered death and he has crushed the serpent's head. Remember back in Mark 5 we saw how Jesus raised Jairus' daughter um, from the dead. Of course this demonstrated to us Jesus' power over death. But as that little girl was raised She would still have to live in this sin-broken world. She would still have to die again. You see, the only hope of life forever beyond death, it's not in healing here and now, it is by believing in Jesus Christ, the one who died and was raised again to life forevermore. The only hope of life forever without suffering is by believing in Jesus Christ who died to take sin's curse and was raised again offering the hope of life without sin and all its consequences. What hope this would have brought to Mark's original audience. Those living in Rome with the constant threat of suffering and persecution from the Roman rulers See, those who put, who put Jesus to death, and do you remember we said how they divided his clothes? And they did that thinking they had victory over Jesus. But Jesus was raised, proving himself the all-conquering, victorious king. And what does Isaiah tell us of the suffering servant? Isaiah says that after he has suffered and had victory, he will share his victory in battle with the many. He will divide the portion, Isaiah 53, 12. And see, those believers living in first century Rome, they will take great confidence from these truths that Mark delivers to them. 
Although it may seem they are defeated, they can persevere, they can be faithful because Jesus Christ shares his victory with all who believe in him. Even though they die, yet shall they live. Believers today have the same hope. Brothers and sisters, this morning, we have the same hope. We have the same hope. In the words of the hymn writer, it is not death to die. It is not death to leave this weary road and join the brotherhood on high to be at home with God. It is not death to close the eyes long dimmed by tears and wake in glorious repose to spend eternal years. It is not death to bear the wrench that sets us free from dungeon chain to breathe the air of boundless liberty. It is not death to fling aside this earthly dust and rise on strong, exulting wing to live among the just. O Jesus, thy Prince of life, your chosen cannot die, but like thee they conquer in the strife to reign with thee on high. See, no matter what life brings, no matter how severe our sufferings are, and I recognize they are severe at times, we are not defeated. We are not defeated. But praise be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. The angel told those first witnesses of the resurrection, go and tell. See, for those who believe the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, they will proclaim the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We go out these doors this morning. There is no shortage of people who need to hear this good news that Mark has set before us these past two years. That is the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And if the truth of the resurrection does not motivate you to evangelize, then frankly nothing will. Nothing will. So we finish again with words from 1 Corinthians 15. As Paul says to the believers, and I said to you this morning, I would remind you, brothers and sisters, of this gospel, which I preached to you, which you have received, and in which you stand, and in which you are being saved. What is that gospel? That Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures. That he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures. Let us pray. Our Father and our God, we thank you for these great truths that we've heard again this morning, these truths that we struggle to even to put into words. Father, we thank you for Christ's suffering, for his death, for his resurrection, for his victory, 
thank you that his victory he shares with all who would believe in him, who would put their faith in him. Father, we thank you that changes everything. We recognize that we, we live in a world that is broken by sin. We recognize that we all suffer in some shape or form. We recognize that for some of us that is much more severe than others. And yet, God, we want to be caught with the wonder again that you would come in Jesus Christ to be born as a baby, ultimately to suffer yourself and to die that we could be free from suffering and death, to have the hope of life without suffering, without pain, without sorrow, without tears. Father, what a gospel we have. What truth we have in Christ. And God, as we grasp this again, may we indeed go and tell. Lord, may this story, may this song, may this truth rise up within us. May it be natural on our lips to speak of Jesus Christ, of all he has done in the gospel. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.